Glory to Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. It is good for us in Christian maturity to be able to hear the culture despisers of Christianity, those who are critical of Christianity but actually have culture. And by what I mean by that, there's substantial criticism. There's something that in Christianity they reject. It is especially for culture despisers of Christianity to scoff at the cross. Because as we know, the cross stands at the center of our faith. The cross stands as the great symbol, the life-giving symbol of our God's death and life-giving death for the sake of the world. Part of the reason that we in Christian maturity can hear and should hear the critics is because it allows us in a way to purify, to more fully understand what the faith actually says and asks of us. And so I want to talk about one particular criticism, and that is Nietzsche's criticism of Christianity, or at least one aspect because Nietzsche had a whole laundry list of things. If you know anything about Nietzsche, you probably know why. This wasn't just intellectual. There's other stuff going on with old Friedrich. Nietzsche's criticism of Christians, especially that they are gloomy, downcast, that Christianity creates pathetic people. Because it's just a kind of Platonism for the masses, that it's a bleak moralism, that it's slave religion I don't mean slave religion as in like African American uh, great hymns etc but that we're a religion of slaves because we subjugate ourselves and of course at the center of all of this as you can see these kind of descriptions what would stand out in his mind but of course the cross that asks of us to deny ourselves, to deny the world, to give up our life. This is what we hear today in the gospel from our Lord, that anyone who wants to come after him, be his disciple, they are to deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow him. In fact, whoever desires to save their life, he tells us, will lose it. But it is in the losing of our life for his sake in the Gospels, that we will actually save it. Nietzsche's criticism has kind of become, uh, I'll say, status quo. It was cutting edge back in the day, and now it's just kind of the typical criticism. Christians deny themselves. They deny the world. They deny pleasure. And what, what do they do? They're just kind of sad, pathetic They just believe in moralism. Don't you want something out of life? Don't you want to savor life? Don't you want to embrace the world? Don't you want to just suck the nectar straight from the fruit? Aren't you missing everything? 
Can't you live your best life now? I don't have the teeth to smile, but I think you know what I'm saying. <laughs> Let's go back to the beginning. To glittering surfaces and to what looks really nice and good, desirable. What is it that Eve, when she is presented with the temptation from the serpent, she's presented with a path to deity, right? To become like God. And the scriptures tell us, when Eve saw the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and she ate. You know, we never choose because we think something's bad, right? Do you choose something good because it's bad? Even if you think that you're choosing something good, like uh, that kind of self-destructive streak, it's odd, but in that self-destruction, you're actually choosing something that you think is good because you think it's good to go down that path. The world presents itself as glittering surfaces, as things that look good not only for food, pleasant to the eyes, right? The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life, a tree desirable to make us wise. In its essence, this is kind of what hedonism is, right? The world is there just for our pleasure. We can become gods. We don't have to even think about deity. Just We can become gods among men. We can become the great ubermensch. We can become the men and women that we want to become. Who we really truly are deep down inside. If we just had our way. If we just had, well I hate to break it to you. The amount of money that you need in order to actually self-express the ways that the advertisements tell you. If we could just have all the glittering things, then we would be satiated. Then we will have been fed. Then we won't be able to look or have to look anywhere else. We will become wise because we'll have exactly what we want. And maybe, just maybe, we'll be happy. This is the swan song of the world. This is the great melody that is sung constantly. If you could just have what you want, if you could just eat what you want, see what you want, become wise in your own eyes, then you can become like gods on the earth. You'll have it all. And because this is the song that we so readily know, that is that, you know, those songs that get stuck in your head and you just end up singing it over and over again. This is what's around us. This is what we pick up. This is what we're humming and with our thumb, with the beat. What happens is that anything that gets in the way of our pleasure, this path, it's to be eliminated, turned down, rejected. Because what actually happens, and this is where we get the counterfeit. We actually realize it's not so glittery. We see what's truly there. We see that we are on our own. 
because we have to eliminate, turn down, reject everything for the sake of ourselves. Because what is the true fruit of this kind of hedonism, the pleasure of the world, if we truly got everything that we wanted? Well, we'll end up with ourselves and not much else. Because the weight of reality, what is truly real, is not just for pleasure. That's a very shallow understanding. It becomes very evident in our relationships with other people. If you were to treat other people like they were these shining things, that they provide pleasure for you, that they are ones who will fulfill you ultimately, you're going to find out that that relationship isn't going to be much of a relationship. People, this is especially true, are ends in themselves. They're not means for us and our quest for our godhood. This is also true for the rest of reality. Everything should be in its right place, not just as if we are the center of everything and everything revolves around us. The view from the cross, as we follow Christ and desire to be his disciples, this is where we begin from the cross to evaluate, understand, and act in the world. The view from the cross gives us actual reality. The view from the cross will give us actual relationships. The view from the cross will give all these things because the view from the cross is the view, it is the sight, it is the vision of love. Because the secret depth of reality is the love of God which in this world it takes the form of the cross, the denial of our ego, our pride, our desire to consume, the necessary patience it takes to be with others in what they do not know, what they struggle with, the sacrifices that we make for others. This is the view from the cross. This is what will actually feed us. This is what will actually transform our visions to see not just that promise of becoming gods, but all of reality ablaze with God. But of course, this is to the world foolishness. Us, to us in the church, it is the wisdom of God. It is the secret of reality. It is hidden from the world. It is something that is not obvious, it's not glittering, but it has the tint, the color of the blood of God. Because it is in this God-man whom is hidden from the world that we find everything, the meaning of everything. This is why our Lord tells us, to hide our fasting, right? That we do not go about looking as if we're fasting. To hide our prayer, to go into the closet when we do our prayers. To hide our good deeds, not letting our hands even know what the other one is doing, right? 
because our lives are hidden in Christ, not understood to the world, but we are known and understood by God and those who love him. This is the way as we follow the cross that we are able to suffer in all of the small things down to the patience that is required to raise children, the patience that is required to actually become friends, the patience that is required to point to the cross in a world that mocks it. This is all the things that we do in the denial of ourselves, the sacrifice of ourselves for what is true, what is beautiful, and what is good. The challenge in all this, this hiddenness from the world, is that it can bring for us a battle with shame. As our Lord says, whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation will not be known by him and the angels. The weight of these words, that whoever is ashamed of our Lord in his words, we cannot be ashamed of the teaching of Scripture, whether or not the world understands it. In the words of the commands of the crucified one, this is where we root ourselves. This is the view from eternity. His commands are crosses upon which we must die. His commands are not just our death, but they are life giving death to us. His commands are light and truth of the world, and for which we must ultimately put above everything else in the world, over all teachings, over all philosophies. Everything must be submitted to the cross. Again, this is because the cross is the ultimate sacrifice of love, where God himself has taken on the vocation of man that was not fulfilled by Adam, nor by Israel or the rest of us, and was fulfilled in Christ. He who voluntarily accepted the cross for our sakes, he who brought joy into the world, who opened up to us the depths of reality, who God is. He opens for us the path to heaven, despised by the world, mocked by the world, forsaken by the world, rejected by the world. But it's he who actually redeems the world as it spits and mocks him. Let us therefore, as we know of our Lord's sacrifice, of our Lord's life-giving death, come boldly to that throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. To pick up our own crosses is not an easy task, but is something that we have in our great high priest who has suffered as we are, someone to give us the great rest, in the presence that we need. Let us rejoice in the wisdom of the cross. Take heart and confidence in the words of our Lord. That is the cross that is the still point upon which the entire world turns. And let's go back to our humdrum existence. Our Monday morning commutes. Our Monday morning coffee runs. Our Monday morning sighs as we get up because we know that the rest of the day is Monday. Let us return to that 
with the cross before us, especially this week as we keep the cross in the middle of the church, in the middle of our hearts, in the middle of our homes. Because it is the cross where the Holy Spirit descends, where God is made present, where he gives our suffering meaning and purpose, where he allows for our conformity to Christ to present us transformed before the world. So the places where we strain, where we suffer, where we grow impatient, greedy, lusty, angry, all of these little things, let us sacrifice these passions, responding to the crosses in our lives with the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.